we program our, our PT exercises as EMOMs and AMRAPs and rounds for time. So, you know, they're kind of in this back corner of the gym using the same equipment. They look over and they see the CrossFitters in class doing it and they look at themselves and think, this looks pretty similar. This looks like something I could be doing. And I love when they start to ask, like, what does it take to cross? We have the rowers and assault bikes, like, is this barrier that we've learned patients perceive as like a line between the gym and the clinic? And they start to ask, like, what does it take to cross that line? And it's fun to tell them, like, well, not much. Like, I, you know, especially when truly their pain is gone. I'm saying, like, well, I have a lot of patients that their discharge visit with me is to come and take my class that I'm coaching. Like, come try it out while I'm coaching. I'll be your coach. I know what's going on with you. I'll show you that it's safe, that we can modify the workout based on whatever is going on with you and you can have a, a fun, successful hour. And I think we've been more than surprised about the amount of patients who were not doing anything before, who maybe didn't even know what CrossFit was, or maybe had a negative connotation about it, who have signed up for CrossFit membership. Hello, and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. This episode is one of a series of Pursuing Health stories. Here, I feature the inspiring stories of regular, everyday people who've used lifestyle to overcome some incredible health challenges. This week's story features Alan Fredendahl, who shares his weight loss story of losing over 200 pounds and how now, as a physical therapist and CrossFit trainer, he uses his patients' injuries or aches and pains as opportunities to help them make sustainable lifestyle changes. Before I dive into the episode, I do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. I recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. Welcome to the Pursuing Health Podcast. I'm super excited to be here with Alan Fredendahl, um, physical therapist who has also an amazing personal transformation story. So thank you for joining me. I'm really excited to chat. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you being here. Yeah. And also another thing I didn't realize, so we've had some interactions before through PT on Ice, which I know you're working closely with in the operations department. Um, yep. and I had no idea that you also were from Michigan until this interview. So we have a lot in common. It sounds like you, um, went to university of Michigan for your PT degree and you're practicing in Michigan now. So, yep. I'm up in Fenton, which is, uh, about 45 minutes North of where you were at, uh, at UM. Yeah. Yep. That's great. Well, go blue. Sorry for anyone listening who's not a Michigan fan. <laughs> I used to be a state fan, and then I went to grad school at U of M, and I figured I should probably convert. Oh, okay, that's fair. That's fair. Well, I went to—I lived in Cleveland for nine years, so, um, or I lived in Ohio, I guess, in general. So it's that was a little rough, but <laughs> recovered. <laughs> um, cool. Well, let's just start with your story because it's pretty incredible. I had no idea until your friend and colleague out of you that you have such an amazing personal transformation story. So, you know, now you are a big CrossFitter, physical therapist, very active, healthy lifestyle, but it wasn't always that way. So let's start from the beginning. Tell me just a little bit about what your life was like growing up or your health. Yeah. So, so growing up, um, kind of always unhealthy, but back in the eighties and nineties, we didn't know that was unhealthy. So mm-hmm. even as a kid, uh, my main drink was like full calorie Mountain Dew, a couple of those oh, yeah. a day and um, pop tarts for breakfast and French fries at lunch at school and that sort of thing. So um, in getting into high school, um, I was around 400 pounds. Uh, um, and then finishing high school and, and going off to college, uh, I started undergrad at, at Western Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, lucky to find some some friends in the dorm who took me to the gym and kind of showed me like some general bodybuilding, weightlifting type stuff. And I lost about a um, hundred pounds my first wow. year or two of, of, of college. Yeah. Um, That's impressive. That's hard to do. I think in college too, when you're having such a big life transition on top of everything. 
Yeah. And I, I liked it. I liked being in the gym. I liked lifting weights, but I mean, mm-hmm. kind of how you can relate and how probably most folks can relate. There wasn't a lot of structure or rhyme mm-hmm. or reason. We were just kind of in the gym goofing off. And the, I guess the benefit of being so heavy is anything helps at that point. So I managed to, to lose a hundred pounds with, with not a lot of direction or even knowledge of what I was doing at the time. I was, um, a secondary education major. I planned to be um, a history teacher. So, okay. Um, and did you then, make many changes to your diet at that time? No, I, re- I remember walking back from the rec center and going past the student uh, union at Western and, and like crushing McDonald's and little Caesars after a workout, which, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that seemed like, you know, we had the mindset of like, Hey, we earned that. So basically eating okay. most of the calories we just burned, but Still, nonetheless, managing to lose weight somehow, just just through being in the gym um, every day. Um, and then kind of taking a, a big sidetrack and um, deciding uh, college wasn't right for me at the time. Just didn't have a lot of structure and, and wasn't really interested in what I was studying. So um, dropped out of, of college and enlisted in the Army in my sophomore year uh, of undergrad and mm-hmm. spent eight years in the Army. Um, and so that process looked like a little bit more weight loss. Um, I had to get below 250 to be able to go to basic training. Um, mm-hmm. So that was just like a lot of steady state cardio and under eating to get below 250 to be able to go to basic training. And then at basic training, four months of half rations to get below um, 200 to meet height and weight to be able to graduate basic training and, and be in the army for real. Wow. So in that time, from when you were in high school up until you started in the army, you lost half your body weight. That's crazy. Yep. Wow. Yep. And you make it sound so easy. You're like, oh, well, I just did this or just started working out. But I'm sure it wasn't easy, was it? No. And I, I kind of think and laugh at like how I train now with CrossFit and what I did then to lose weight and how, how different it is of how, um, especially to cut that 50 pounds to go to basic training, I was getting up at 6 a.m. and riding elliptical for an hour um, and then at lunch doing weights for 30 minutes and then 30 minutes on the elliptical and then before bed another 60 minutes on the elliptical just trying to find wow. a way to basically get in a ton of cardio with a lower impact with that much volume. Mm-hmm. Wow. Were there ever um, moments, I guess, maybe having the motivation of needing to hit a certain weight to be in army and do what you wanted to do is probably good motivation. But were there ever moments where you questioned it and were like, is this even really worth it? Yeah. I, I remember looking at uh, the photo of myself with my parents when I graduated basic training and like looking at myself and just like my, my cheeks were sunken in and I kind of looked like, you know, if you had seen me, you probably would have thought, does that guy have jaundice? Like what's like yeah. just kind of pale, a little yellowish, definitely like malnourished and underfed looking and mm-hmm. seeing myself and thinking like, wow, is that what I look like? Maybe that's too much, like mm-hmm. too much, too fast type weight loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just, you know, losing so much weight in a short amount of time, there's, you know, a requisite amount of time for like inherent joint strength and stuff that needs to happen that didn't happen through just so much exercise and not enough nutrition that I definitely, you know, pretty much my entire army career, I've had knee pain, back pain, Mm -hmm. like just joint pain from Mm -hmm. from cutting a bunch of weight, but not actually getting strong. Mm -hmm. Knowing what you know now, if you had to start and you didn't have that sort of time pressure, if you had to start from square one again, is there a different way that you would have approached it? Yeah, I'd probably be doing similar to what I do now, um, which is, you know, closer to an hour a day, um, higher intensity, yes, but also like more strength training and not just so much like mindless cardio of mm-hmm. just burning calories to burn mm-hmm. calories. Yeah. Because I think I definitely missed out on all the benefits of resistance training by just spending so much time trying to cut weight instead of like actually achieve mm-hmm. some measurable degree of fitness. That's probably a common misconception too about thinking that cardio is the only way to burn fat and that, you know, really by having more muscle mass that can actually be helpful. And especially like you said too, maybe making sure that your nutrition supports that lean body mass and that you're maintaining good nourishment. I think often of how we ate in the military and how we trained and it was a lot of running and body weight stuff, never any resistance training. And then, I mean, nutrition just, 
terrible as far as I would probably say we were probably eating less than like 50 grams of protein a day. Wow. Especially like out in the field eating rations and stuff. So mm-hmm. kind of amazing yeah. what the human body can do with such low amount of resources. It's very true. We are extremely resilient. <laughs> yeah. It is amazing. It is amazing. Well, first of all, thank you for your service in the military. I know you had a couple of deployments and you were in for eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Can you just talk about, obviously, I mean, an experience that very few people are able to really understand some of the things that, that you learned from that experience or ways that you were able to grow during that time before you um, came back and, and started the next stage of your life? Yeah, so I, um, I joined the infantry, um, which I kind of laugh at now at thinking about how much my recruiter tried to talk me out of joining the infantry based on like my aptitude tests and stuff. Um, but I wanted to be in the infantry. I wanted to, you know, kind of be on the ground and, and see the yeah. situation in Iraq and Afghanistan kind of firsthand. So I, I, I got that, got that experience. Um, I think now of like all of the stuff I'm involved in of like the structure it gave me, the discipline it gave me of like win the morning, win the day, get up early, mm-hmm. get started, um, kind of, that, that structure and, and discipline and work ethic that I didn't have um, is why, and why I, I sought out the military because it was kind of just stumbling through life aimlessly in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just like small team, small organization leadership, and then just understanding systems better. The army, the military is really big on systems of mm-hmm. keeping track of millions of people of like how to track a whole bunch of different stuff and how that has kind of helped me um, and all the stuff I do now in the clinic, in the gym, and with um, Institute of Clinical Excellence of mm-hmm. like managing the operations of a lot of different organizations and just mm-hmm. understanding like the systems that go in place to to manage big groups of people and a lot of like moving parts. Yeah, and you can definitely see that with, I mean, acting as COO of Institute for Clinical Excellence and then your, your DT practice you co-own, is that correct? So you're Yep, I, I co-own it with a business partner, and then we have a third um, physical therapist here as well. Um, and so I do all the back-end stuff for the mm-hmm. clinic, too. Um, we have a biller, but I help out with billing. I do the payroll, the accounting, mm-hmm. kind of all the, the the nuts and bolts of the back-end of, mm-hmm. of a medical practice. Got it. So lots of systems. <laughs> and yeah, I, can vouch for systems. The, I can vouch for the win the morning, win the day, because before we got on, you told me it's 9 o'clock this morning as we're talking, and all the things you've already done today since starting – a 5:30 a.m. CrossFit class. So clearly you're still doing that. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a habit that will never go away of like waking up at four, four thirty, and my eyes are open and I'm just, there's no chance I'm going to roll over and go back to bed. I'm my brain's already <laughs> on and I'm thinking about stuff to do and, and stuff I want to get done today. And mm-hmm. over the years, just kind of accepting that it's probably best to just get up and start on that stuff instead of staring at the ceiling in the darkness for another hour before deciding to come to the same decision. Yeah. Well, if you're up, you're up, I guess. Exactly. Um, all right. So after you decided, or I guess what kind of spurred the decision to um, get out of the military? And then can you talk us through what happened next? Yeah, I got out because it was, it was just getting to be a lot of deployments. I, I spent mm-hmm. um, more time deployed than at home. And when I got out of the Army back in 2013, still... Um, Iraq was kind of winding down, but Afghanistan was still busy. And it looked like that would probably end up being the majority of the rest of my career of just Mm -hmm. spending most of my time deployed. Um, and so I wanted to just go a different way, I guess, see, see what Mm -hmm. else was out there after, um, and kind of realizing like that it was either time to commit to the army for a career or something else. Cause that was kind Mm -hmm. of the halfway point of Mm -hmm. if I went any further, I'd probably be in for a career. So decided to um, finish my enlistment, um, go back to school. Um, So I started undergrad at Eastern Michigan, uh, changed my major completely. So finding kind of in the army, like a passion for, I guess, exercise in general, but also getting into like the science and systems behind exercise and and majored in exercise physiology and exercise science. Um, And then through that process, um, thinking like what else, what kind of what profession exists that is beyond just a bachelor's degree that mainly uses like exercise as an mm-hmm. intervention and kind of finding and stumbling upon physical therapy in undergrad and then going to grad school at U of M Flint for physical therapy um, to, to be a physical therapist. 
That's great. And was it something that you, did you know a lot about physical therapy? Did you have mentors or friends or family who were doing it before? And what were some of the things that maybe surprised you? I know for me, I was very naive going into medical school about our healthcare system and the way medicine is practiced and was surprised um, by a lot of it. But was there any of that for you? Were there things that, that surprised you as you started actually going through and learning it in school? Uh, yes to all those questions. Um, I didn't really have a mentor, but part of uh, one of our undergrad cl classes was to go out and follow graduate level professionals who were using exercise science as kind of their baseline in their career. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I followed a strength and conditioning coach who had a, a master's in, in ex phys. And then I followed a speech and language pathologist, which mm -hmm. I decided that was not for me. I had no interest <laughs> in that. Uh, but then I got paired up with a physical therapist actually at the, the VA in Ann Arbor. Um, and I got to, to watch him for a semester. And I thought, this seems like something I could do. Like, there's some exercise. There's some hands-on stuff that I don't understand mm -hmm. what he's doing or what the rationale is. But it looks kind of cool. People seem to like coming here. And there's fun music. And people are having fun. And kind of uh, an active uh, job. And so I wanted mm -hmm. to look more into that. And, and that's how I kind of got into um, looking at physical therapy for grad school. And then getting into grad school, not knowing physical therapy outside of those experiences, and you have to shadow some people to get into PT school, but mm -hmm. not really knowing kind of the full extent and like how far physical therapy can be taken if, if we start to get really lethal with it of like, being a frontline primary care provider of, of using exercise and nutrition is like the main intervention tools in mm -hmm. school, like to check the box for the board exams. There's a lot of learning of hands-on stuff, but also a lot of like passive modalities like hot packs and cold packs and ultrasound and stuff like that for pain management. And then lucky enough to stumble upon the Institute of Clinical Excellence in my second year of, of grad school and thinking, okay, oh, there's, there's another level to this. Mm -hmm. of, yes, the manual therapy stuff, but like, what if we start to program our exercise with patients that looks like strength training? And what if we program their exercises where it looks like conditioning and we start to increase the intensity of the session? Like, can we get people's pain better? Yes, very easily, but can we also help them get a little bit fitter too while they're with us uh, and maybe help them get hooked on exercise for maybe the first time in their life and start to make like true true lifestyle change, true behavior change, and make a, a bigger impact on a patient's life than just taking their back pain from a seven out of 10 mm -hmm. to a three out of 10 over a couple of weeks and then kicking them out the door. Yeah, it's amazing. And I've been so um, impressed by everything that the Institute for Clinical Excellence is doing and how you really are. It's not just about checking the boxes and doing the, the sort of billing codes and getting the metrics that you need to get. It's really about how can we use this as an opportunity to help transform someone's life and help them change their behavior so that they can live healthier. And I think that's one of the things that was most frustrating for me as I went through med school about physical therapy was seeing like, okay, you know, insurance pays for X number of visits. And then after that, the patient's kind of out of luck and they go back to their normal lifestyle. And so if you can use those visits and that time that you have to really give them the tools that they need to keep up that behavior, if they're willing, um, then that can have a real a huge impact on someone's life. I, I can't agree more. I think, you know, thinking on the patients that I'm most proud of having worked with are not like the high level CrossFitters that have pain with a muscle up. Like in my mind, those are slam dunk cases because we're working on maybe cleaning up a little bit of range of motion or in range strength. They're already bought in to exercise and nutrition is the way that they live their life. And mm -hmm. so it doesn't take much convincing or much work there compared to the people who come in here who have never exercised in their entire life. They're coming here maybe because of pain and just by nature of doing PT with us and being next door in the CrossFit gym, doing their, their PT exercise, um, the folks, especially the folks that go on to grab a CrossFit membership and like really change their entire life because they started physical therapy. Those are the, the patients I'm most proud of working with because they, they go so far in a short amount of time. Mm -hmm, for sure. And then how, what was your decision point? Did you go into um, your own practice right off the bat or how did you end up deciding that's what you wanted to do? I didn't. I, I got a job at just a kind of a regular outpatient orthopedic clinic. Mm -hmm. um, no, knowing how 
I should be treating based on how he's trained through Institute of Clinical Excellence. Um, but that, that clinic is, is a lot of PT clinics are, are, are based on volume. And so starting mm-hmm. out and seeing patients maybe every 45 minutes, and then it became one every half an hour, and then it became one every 15 minutes, and then it became mm-hmm. two at the top of every hour and one every 15 minutes, and kind of stepping back and thinking, well, the model that I practice by can't be used here because there's not enough time. You know, patient mm-hmm. comes in, we need to do a reassessment. We need to see how they're different, show them that they're making change or not. And that kind of dictates how we change our treatment for the day. But then to have time to do some structured strength and conditioning of actually like, you know, the first or second visit, finding an eight or 10 rep max of something, um, even if it's an elevated sumo kettlebell deadlift so that we can start to program off that and know like we have to be lifting heavy. We have to be lifting above 60% of their max for them to actually be getting stronger, mm-hmm. working some conditioning too, that sort of stuff. All that stuff takes time and it, it can't be done in, in 15 minutes. It, it probably mm-hmm. takes closer to an hour and just stepping back from that model and saying this, people are getting better. Yes, but they could be getting better faster if, mm-hmm. if we're doing it a different way. And so that's when we decided to open our own practice here um, next to uh, next to the CrossFit gym here in Fenton, CrossFit Fenton. Um, this used to be softball batting cages. Um, so we, we uh, took over this building and renovated it. And so it's a standalone PT clinic. But outside that that door is the, the door that opens literally into the back of the CrossFit gym. And so kind of pairing up with CrossFit Fenton to have our own clinic here. That's amazing. I think that's, that's the future for hopefully for a lot of CrossFit affiliates. Um, do you find that you have trouble bringing in clients who are not part of CrossFit or maybe they're too intimidated seeing that your practice is right next to a CrossFit gym? We're worried about that because, um, so 915 class just started. So they're probably warming up. You're, you're going to hear here in probably five to 10 minutes, the music's going to ramp up. And so we were worried like the loud music being out in the gym with just sweaty people throwing balls mm-hmm. against the wall and jumping on stuff. Like would that, you know, detract the average mm-hmm. person from coming here for physical therapy? And that was a concern. And, and we tried to, to mitigate that, you know, having standalone clinic that looks like a traditional physical therapy clinic that has its own entrance. Um, and then we, we paid a bunch of money for soundproofing, which you'll hear in a minute is better than nothing, <laughs> but could be better. Yeah. Um, but it actually hasn't been. Um, and, and what we found is, is, you know, the, the regular quote unquote person that, that comes in, it, it, we kind of brief them, you know, on their first visit or maybe their second visit when we're going to be going out to the gym, like, Hey, we're gonna go out to the gym class is going on. It's going to be loud. There's probably going to be music with some swear words. And I haven't mm-hmm. had a single person yet say, I'm not interested in that. I think like, mm-hmm. you know, we have the, the whiteboards here, their, their kind of plan of the day is written out for them of like, I want to go out. I want to practice your deadlift. I want to do these couple things. We're going to go out in the gym. What do you think? How does that sound? I think if you prepare them for that experience, when you open that door, they're not as, as shocked as they might normally be if they walked in and, and everything was happening in the gym treatment mm-hmm. included. So I think having this separate space next door helps facilitate that transition a lot better. For sure. Have you found patients who come in who are not doing CrossFit, but after gaining some confidence with you that they maybe think about joining the CrossFit gym later? Yep. That, that happens uh, more often than we anticipated when we first opened mm-hmm. our doors. Um, I think a combination of things, um, the, the way we treat patients, you're out in the gym picking up heavy stuff and, and moving mm-hmm. fast. We, we program our, our PT exercises as EMOMs and AMRAPs and rounds for time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're kind of in this back corner of the gym using the same equipment. They look over and they see the CrossFitters in class doing mm-hmm. it and they look at themselves and think, this looks pretty similar. similar this looks yeah. like something I could, could be doing. And I love when they start to ask, like, what does it take to cross? We have the rowers and assault bikes, like, yeah. is this barrier that we've learned patients perceive as like a line between the <laughs> gym and the clinic? And they start yeah. to ask, like, what does it take to cross that line? And it's, it's fun to tell them, like, well, not much. Like, I, yeah. you know, especially when truly their pain is gone. I'm saying, like, well, I have a lot of patients that their discharge visit with me is to come and take my class that I'm coaching. 
Like, mm-hmm. come try it out while I'm coaching. I'll be your coach. I know what's going on with you. I'll mm-hmm. show you that it's safe, that we can modify the workout based on whatever is going on with you and you can have a, a fun, successful hour. And I think we've been more than surprised about the amount of patients who were not doing anything before, who maybe didn't even know what CrossFit was, or maybe had a mm-hmm. negative connotation about it, who have yeah. signed up for CrossFit membership. That's incredible. And I think we should really be taking advantage of that as an opportunity to bring more people into CrossFit. Cause I think that's the biggest hurdle for most people is just, they've heard about it, have a negative connotation or they're too intimidated. And most of the time just getting into the gym is the hardest step and realizing that, Hey, there's people here like me. I, you know, building confidence a little bit. It sounds like, you know, going through a course of PT with you in the gym is almost like a personalized on-ramp program for someone. Um, and you know, obviously more, um, focus on whatever their specific issues are um, in a great way to introduce them. You know, even just learning the lingo, I think helps. Like you said, they're doing AMRAPs or they're doing rounds for time. I think a lot of times that can be overwhelming because learning what the movements are called and learning the language can be sometimes the most intimidating. And, and I think introducing it piece by piece, you know, somebody with back pain, we want to get them deadlifting. So they already are learning the deadlift and maybe we want to, challenge their deadlift under fatigue so we have them you know doing cows on the assault bike and then doing Mm -hmm. their deadlifts and so Mm -hmm. they're slowly getting all the movements all the different variants integrated in their plan of care Mm -hmm. so that when they start crossfit and the coach says today we're deadlifting and we're doing rowing they think well i've already done that that's not confusing Mm -hmm. to me i already i already know how to do both those movements and just kind of giving them that confidence getting them hooked Mm -hmm. on fitness to say like well i can be that person that does crossfit Yeah, I love that. That's incredible. Okay, well, let's take a step back and talk more about your personal journey because you got sidetracked here talking about PT, which I love. But yeah. Um, yeah, so what happened? You came back, you decided to go to, you know, finish college, go to PT school. What happened with your um, health during that time? Yeah, so I got out of the army and I thought, great, I never have to exercise again. Like that was something <laughs> I had to do as part of my job. Like. Box. Yeah, to, you know, be able to run in combat and and wear body armor. I don't have to do that anymore. Like that's behind me. So Mm -hmm. I can do whatever I want. And in undergrad, like learning about, you know, the basics of of exercise physiology and anatomy, biology and chemistry, but, but never having it all put together of, especially from the mindset of from the leadership in undergrad of like, well, if you want people to be healthy and exercise, the easiest way is probably that if you are healthy and you exercise because, you know, people follow people. You, we learned all this research and all this data and you can Mm -hmm. regurgitate that people at people as much as you want. And I'm sure you know this very well. You can sit in the treatment room and tell people you need to exercise. You can't eat McDonald's three times a day. You can say that forever and they're never going to change their behavior and Mm kind of learning the basics in undergrad, but never having it connected. And so going through undergrad, putting some weight back on, still being in, in, in the weight room, um, at Eastern, but still kind of that same mindset I was in of like lifting machines and random bodybuilding stuff. And then just like cardio on the elliptical Mm -hmm. or incline Mm -hmm. walking on the treadmill and then getting to grad school and, and being in school literally 12 hours a day and just thinking, I don't have time for that, like to be in the gym two or three hours a day. Um, Mm -hmm. and just that fell off, nutrition fell off. Um, and then getting into my first year of practice fell off even more driving an hour to work being in the clinic 12 hours a day with with a ton of patients which results in a ton of documentation afterwards oh yeah and then an hour drive back home um put basically all the weight back on got uh back above 400 pounds by 2018 um oh wow yeah and so basically reversing all the changes that i had done in the past decade or so yep um, and then, so, so my business partner here, Mitch, um, he's been a coach here for, for a long time, I think five years now, and he'd always bothered me. He was a year uh, ahead of me in, in grad school. Okay. He'd always bother me to come, come on down and try it. We're about 20 minutes away from campus. And I said, I don't have the time. I don't have the time. I don't have the time. Um, and then Mitch actually started teaching with us through Institute of Clinical Excellence. So I got to know him a little bit better. And, and he just started to be more firm with me of like, dude, you have to come do this. And mm-hmm. I think for the first time uh, since basic training of, of having that f- firmness of like, mm-hmm. you need to get it together. Like your, your physical health mm-hmm. is, is 
on a bad track. And he said, just come try it once and I'll leave you alone forever after that. And so I came to the gym. Uh, it was a Saturday. The workout was deadlifts and wall balls. Um, I remember my first wall ball, it bounced off the wall. And I didn't understand the concept and I just brained myself and laid myself <laughs> out on the floor. Oh, but I was man. in the back of the gym. I was in the back of the gym and nobody saw me. So I just got back up and kept going. And I remember leaving and thinking like, First of all, I remember thinking in the first 15 minutes of the warm up, being covered in sweat and thinking, mm -hmm. I can't believe the workout hasn't started yet. Yeah, <laughs> How in shape workout. are these people that I'm dying and they're, mm -hmm. they look bored? Um, and then leaving and just having that, that little seed in the back of my head of like, okay, I found some stuff I could get better at. But also mm -hmm. like that was only an hour and I'm totally destroyed. Like mm -hmm. imagine, you know, if I did that a couple of days a week, how much more efficient it would be both from an outcomes perspective, but also a time perspective. And mm -hmm. so I said, Oh, you know what, Mitch, I think I could come twice a week. And that became mm -hmm. three times a week. And then can I get here five times a week? And then it became, you know, I'm doing CrossFit at lunch at my previous clinic, um, you know, with whatever resources we had to than being here um, and opening our practice next to the gym. Mm -hmm. But along the way, um, I think in t I started February 2018, uh, and by that summer, I had, had lost 100 pounds already. Um, wow. And then from summer 2018 to now, uh, I'm down to 190. So the lightest I've ever been, uh, wow. but I think way healthier in the way that I did it. And okay. definitely, definitely feeling way better than, than doing it before kind of to get in shape to join the army. Mm -hmm. And did you make changes to your nutrition along this path as well? Yep. Um, did it the right way. Um, tra tracking my food, uh, work, we have a nutritionist here working with a nutritionist, especially early on mm -hmm. and understanding like, actually, Alan, you probably need to eat more calories. Mm -hmm. Like you're doing high intensity exercise, you're packing on muscle, your metabolism's higher. You can't, 2000 is probably too low for you. Um, and, you know, going into performance phases where I'm eating above 3000 and then, you know, low for me now is 2,500, which that mm -hmm. probably shocks a lot of people to think like you could maintain or even lose body weight eating 2,500 calories a day and just learning the right way to do it is, is not starving yourself. It's to, mm -hmm. you know, incorporate intensity and resistance training as you, like, as you, you mentioned earlier, as you pack on more muscle, your metabolism goes up, you're actually able to eat more food, um, without worrying about putting on body fat. Mm -hmm. Um, and then just getting more intentional about getting enough protein, especially being active. Mm -hmm. um, and then probably the past year or two getting really intentional with, with sleep as well about how mm, important sleep is. Great. So kind of understanding the total picture of yes, exercise, but also nutrition, the, you know, the, the base of the CrossFit pyramid and then sleep mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, that's huge. I think sleep is so often underestimated, especially by people who are really trying to lose weight and they don't have the sleep piece um, dialed in. And, you know, then you're almost just sort of digging yourself into a hole because no matter what you do, your body's still in the fight or flight mode and it's not going to let go of the weight. Yep. Um, it's written, written, things written, on, written on my board oh, yeah? to talk about every patient. Oh, I, I was probably backwards, great. but sleep is <laughs> it's a little thing on recovery. Sleep is the, the first thing on there. That's huge. Have there been things that you found to be really helpful? Because obviously you're still an early bird. So helpful for you in terms of getting to bed early or getting better quality sleep. Um, yeah, I think just being comfortable falling asleep at 830. My fiance did something on Instagram the other day. She said, uh, she, she posted it on, on New Year's Day. She said, looking back at the past year with Alan, and it was like 78 pictures of me asleep on the couch at 8 o'clock <laughs> at night. So just, oh, just getting comfortable great. knowing, like, I like to get up between 4 and 5 if I want to get 8 to 10 hours. I probably, it's yeah. okay to be tired and let myself go to totally. bed between 8, 8 and 9. Yeah. Totally. Um, we... My fiance is on board with with sleep hygiene stuff, which is great. We keep our house mm -hmm. at sixty. We it's completely blacked out. We've got white noise going, all that sort of stuff. Um, so just amazing. just tack on all the sleep hygiene stuff that we can to get really really mm -hmm. good quality deep sleep. I love it, and that's a great point. It's you know it helps a lot to have a partner who's on board with it. Um, otherwise, mm -hmm. it can make it more difficult. Carl, it would not stuff, work if she liked to stay up until midnight. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I would either be very tired or she would be very annoyed. Right, right. Um, 
You said something else really interesting when you were talking about Mitch and how his persistence and his firmness really um, sort of struck a chord with you. And I think that's important because maybe you can speak to sort of someone else in your position or speak to someone who, you know, a friend or family member, someone who wants to help but doesn't, you know, doesn't want to push you in the wrong direction um, or is afraid to maybe be that be that firm because they're afraid of hurting someone's feelings. So, so can you talk to like, what, what was it about the way that Mitch um, approached you that made you actually give it a shot? Yeah, I think like, I mean, if somebody comes in, we have to understand like the basics of human behavior and, and motivational interviewing. Like when somebody comes in, we can't just hit them off the bat. Like, right. Hey, you're out of shape. Let's fix that. Like we know people right. are going to dig in with that kind of style, but like recognize the barriers that, that people have, but also like the way he said it of like, look, just try it once. It's going to be fun. I promise you'll have a good time. And if you totally hate it, I'm not going to keep trying to drag you through the mud with it. Like just mm-hmm. come in once, take a class. And I think like both like kind of that, that compassion and friendship of like, mm-hmm. I want you to be in a better place, but also that firmness of like, I think, we know as like healthcare providers, we know the outcomes if people don't get it together. Mm-hmm. And I think we can try to scare people that way and go with the nuclear option. But I, I think we, we don't want to go that far. And so I think oftentimes we say nothing. Mm-hmm. I, the, one of the greatest research papers I ever read was asking all these different providers, primary care physicians and dietitians and PTs. And it was asking people, it was asking these providers, when do you address exercise and nutrition with your patient? And the primary care docs all answered in the survey, well, I don't. I let the physical therapist do that. The physical therapist said, I don't. I let the primary care physician do that. But what what that kind of tells me is nobody is talking about it. We're scared of upsetting the patient and having them not come back because we Mm -hmm. ask them what they're doing about their diet Mm -hmm. and their exercise program. And so instead of scaring them away, we go the opposite way of the continuum and do nothing. But kind Mm -hmm. of that firmness that Mitch had with me of like, I know where you're headed and I don't want to see you go there. Like, mm-hmm. and, and not being afraid to confront it a little bit, not saying like, Hey, get your crap together. Or you're going to die. But mm-hmm. like, just try some exercise. I'm going to make it fun. And there's no pressure. If you hate it, I'm never going to ask you about it again. Mm-hmm. But then that confidence that he knows from being in the gym as a coach for so many years of like, once people get it, they're on board. Very few people come here once and go, that's not for me they usually come here and go, how many times can I come here? Can I come back later today? Yeah. Like once, once people get on the train, it's almost like we have to worry about how many times they come here versus how you're going to overdo it. Yeah, exactly. for sure. For sure. And I think it's so um, true. What you said about, you know, you had developed this relationship with Mitch over time and how a lot of times the way that we can show people care and like how much we really care about them is sometimes by being a little bit hard on them or just, being that mirror that sometimes they need to hear, um, whether it's a friend or a family member or just, you know, someone who you are in school with or whatever it is. Um, even if maybe they don't react as well, the first time you talk about it in the end, you could give them, you know, a great gift that sounds like for you has really changed your life. And I think that can happen a lot in those initial questions with that patient of mm-hmm. asking their goals of like, just mm-hmm. literally asking people like, I know your goal is to not have back pain, or I know mm-hmm. your goal is to come here because your doctor told you to come here. Mm-hmm. But like, what are your goals? And finding yeah. people who like, I would like to lose 10 pounds, or I would like to exercise regularly, I just don't know how and finding mm-hmm. that the majority of people know they need to be doing it, they just mm-hmm. can't conceptualize how to get mm-hmm. from A to B. Um, and, and having that those those tough conversations initially, in the, in the treatment room with the patient and understanding like, actually they do seem pretty ready to change. We just need yeah. to find out like how to get them there. It just becomes not a matter now of, of if or when, but how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that starting with our goals. I have, so there's a great book called how healing works by Dr. Wayne Jonas, who's a primary care doctor who I've interviewed here on the podcast. And he always starts with what do you want your health for? And so, you know, it may be, and, and to keep asking that why question, it may be, well, I want my back not to hurt anymore. And it's like, well, why don't you want your back to hurt anymore? Maybe you want to lose 10 pounds. Maybe you want to be 
you know, and why do you want to lose 10 pounds? Maybe you want to be more active so you can play with your grandkids. Maybe you want to be able to go on a trip or climb a mountain or whatever it is. If you can connect with what their real goal is, you're going to be so much more likely to help them achieve it um, than if it's just something that, that they're not emotionally connected to. Totally. And I think that that helps then the provider write treatment yeah. goals based on, and that you can start to see how we're getting from where you are now to where you want to be. I had a patient, mm-hmm. her goal was, you know, to be able to take a bath independently. Um, mm-hmm. She's in, she's in her seventies. And I said, okay, to be able to take a bath, we need to develop chest and shoulder strength. We need to develop mm-hmm. transfers that looks like mastering the floor transfer, which looks like a step down, step up burpee. That looks like jerk block push-ups and Russian mm-hmm. dips and all these different things. And, you know, to get her from A to B looked like being out in the gym and, and working on that stuff until eventually I built like a bathtub out of jerk blocks and she oh, got cool. in and out and then went home that night and took a bath and texted me that she took a bath for the first time. Uh, that is amazing. And what better, yeah. like what better feeling than when you can help someone achieve a goal like that and maintain their independence. That's incredible. Yep. That's amazing. What has it been for you? I know you kind of mentioned your first CrossFit experience, but what is it about CrossFit that you think has made it something that you've become so passionate about that now you have your practice in a CrossFit gym and you're, um, you know that it's something you're going to be doing for the rest of your life? I, I think I like it for the reason that most people like it, that it's different every day. I don't have to think about it. Even though I'm a coach now and I'm here all day long, I still do class workout every day. You know, I come in and do the workout on the board. I take class with the members. Um, I like the camaraderie. I like the accountability. When I first started here, I, I was uh, doing it before work. So I came to our 5.30 a.m. class, which is full of maniacs who wake up and do CrossFit. But, you know, yeah. when I would miss a day, I would, I would get that text of like, hey, where you been? Um, mm-hmm. Which I didn't have going to a global gym or working out on campus or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the accountability, the camaraderie the competitive nature of it a little bit. And in school, I was always heavy. I never played sports. Um, I would definitely not call myself a sports guy. I would be totally lost watching a full game of football or soccer or something. I I have, I get the idea, but I cannot talk about, you know, what's happening. Like that's just not my, my realm, but, (laughs) but finding like, okay, my sport is probably actually, I like CrossFit. I like now watching like competitive CrossFit mm-hmm. um, and, and doing local competitions and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. the competitive nature of it was like, okay, this, it's not that I don't like sports. I just didn't like those sports. Sure. That's um, great. And then now as a coach, I, I think I get the most out of it, helping other people reach those mm-hmm. goals of getting that first pull up, getting that first muscle up, that sort of stuff. Absolutely. There's nothing better than seeing the excitement on someone's face after they've been working hard towards the goal and they finally achieve it. Yep. That's amazing. Wonderful. Well, I want to start wrapping up and there's usually, there's three questions I ask everyone at the end of the podcast. So the first one is what are the three things that you do now that have the biggest positive impact on your health? First thing is, is prioritizing sleep. Um, mm-hmm. even, you know, I, I totally get being busy and not, and not having time and feeling the pressure to stay up and get everything done, but just prioritizing sleep, knowing that if, if I get enough sleep the next day, even though it's long, feels mm-hmm. a lot better. I, I get a lot more done. Um, prioritizing working out every day. Um, that's something I, I put on my calendar every day. Um, looking at my, my schedule for the week and thinking, when am I going to work out? And to me being one of the most important things that I do that day, that, that getting that hour block on the calendar. And then, you know, I call it my big rock. You put the big mm-hmm. rock in the cup and then all the other little rocks pile on top of it of, of patience and coaching and mm-hmm. meetings and stuff like that. Um, and then just taking for, for me, especially is, is being more intentional, um, of, of taking time off of like, mm-hmm. Um, taking time off from exercise, but taking time off from work and, and my idea of finding those big rocks on my calendar where I can spend time with my fiance, quality time, no Mm -hmm. phone, no computer, no emails, no phone calls, no meetings going on. Um, and just trying to, to spend a couple hours a week dedicated just, just with her. It Mm -hmm. really helps me feel, um, like I'm giving her the attention that she deserves, which helps Mm -hmm. me feel better more for like a mental health perspective of of feeling at ease. 
That's beautiful. That is so true. You mentioned, we talked about sleep before, but since you started really focusing on sleep, have you, what kind of impact have you noticed on yourself or your health? Um, probably the biggest is, is physical. Um, mm -hmm. I know, you know, obviously people feel tired throughout the day. Um, but I used to be a person that was drinking like three or four energy drinks a day to, to okay. stay awake and yeah. just knowing like when I hit, when I start to get towards that eight hour mark or even beyond of like how great I feel, how much energy I have, mm -hmm. how much I don't feel like I need to be crushing a caffeine drink every two hours. Um, and that kind of facilitates a cycle of where my sleep is better the next day, probably because I'm not drinking so much caffeine that day. Yeah. And like just getting into that cycle of, of feeling better physically. But also, like, I think of how, you know, from a military mindset of, of work all the time and how I used to get, like, four hours of sleep a night. And I look back and, and think of how inefficient I was with my time of like mm -hmm. how long it took me to do easy stuff because I was so tired that my, my brain just had like a delay mm -hmm. and I was doing a whole lot of stuff very poorly <laughs> because I was like so yeah. tired and exhausted all day long and how different that is now of, of how much more I'm getting done in less time because I have focused on sleep. Have better focus. That's so true. What's one thing that you think would have an impact on your health, but you're, you haven't implemented it yet or something you're working on? Probably more like, um, self-care mental health stuff. I would, I would love to, and it's, it, I'm kind of a hypocrite because I recommend it to patients to help with stress and anxiety and sleep of, of showing them calm and headspace and apps mm -hmm. on their phone and guided meditation mm -hmm. of finding more time, um, in my day to do stuff like that. I think mm -hmm. especially, you know, into the day when I'm trying to put out a thousand fires and I know oh, yeah. I need to chill out, but, mm -hmm. but not, not making the time for some, some guided meditation or just some, some personal time mm -hmm. to me, even, even 10 or 20 minutes. Like I recommend the patients. Totally. Totally. Or even five minutes or just some kind of deep breathing or, or something for a couple of minutes. I know, it's something I'm always working on too, but I, when I do it, I always find that it has a huge impact just on toning down that fight or flight. And then you're able to, again, just like when you get more sleep, you're able to be more efficient, have better focus on the things that you are doing. That's one that yeah. I know we all struggle with in our, the, the world that we live in. It's extremely hard to do, but mm -hmm. it have a huge impact. All right. Last question is what does a healthy life look like to you, Alan? Um, I think it looks like um, physical health. Um, I, th I think physical strength is one of the most underestimated qualities of, of you know, at ICE, we'd say stronger people are harder to kill and more useful in general. And we steal that quote from Mark Ripitel. But uh, mm -hmm. when you have, when you're truly physically strong, you can encounter a lot more stresses, both physical and mental, and, and kind of truck through them. So making time every day um, for an hour of, of dedicated physical exercise of, of structured mm -hmm. physical exercise of prioritizing sleep of of caring about what you eat but not obsessing over what you eat i think we're starting to see the pendulum switch from healthy eating to like being obsessed with i have to track mm -hmm. every single thing and i have to feel guilty if i go over my calorie amount or my macros are off and stuff like that so trying to find that balance of, of knowing like what we put into our bodies really, really matters, mm -hmm. but not being afraid to have, uh, you know, a piece of cake at your niece's birthday party or something like that. So finding that, that healthy balance with, mm -hmm. with nutrition and then just, um, whatever makes you happy outside of, of work in the gym, whatever stuff you like to do, whatever that might look like finding time to do stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, I think that's, I like to play board games. So New Year's Eve, we played board games and I haven't had that much fun in a, in a long time. So find whatever great. your hobby might be. Um, a lot of people's hobby becomes work or exercise or both, mm -hmm. but, but finding um, time for, for those hobbies that truly make you happy. So true. What's your favorite board game? Uh, okay. My all-time favorite board game is a board game called Axis and Allies, which is this okay. giant map of the globe. And uh, you basically reenact World War II between the Allies and the Axis. And you need oh. five people. And it takes, it could take three days to finish a game. Wow. Like, okay. um, so 
that's my all-time favorite game. Not very many people are willing to play that game with me. Um, nor do I have the time <laughs> for it anymore. So, yeah. Yeah. M- my second favorite game, game is, it is a good holiday game. Uh, my second favorite game is called Ticket to Ride, which is like a right. game where you connect train routes between cities and you're, mm-hmm. you're trying to make these routes and nobody else knows what your routes are. And so you're unintentionally blocking people from making their own routes. And sometimes somebody flips the board when you block them for the 30th time. So uh, it gets heated. I like that game a lot. That's great. That's great. And I love too that we ended on that note of, again, finding your why, right? Like you can spend all of your time working or working out or tracking your macros, doing all these things for your health. But at the end of the day, like ask yourself, why are you doing it? If you take, if all of your time is just spent doing this stuff and you never use your health for the things that you really care about um, or, you know, spend time with the, the relationships, the people that you really care about, then what's the point, right? So yeah. I think that's a perfect note to end on. And I, I think, you know, fitness in a hundred words ends with that uh, of regularly yeah. learn and play new sports. And, and that speaks to me a lot of like, not, not sports sports, but like, don't spend all your time in the gym, get out of the gym right. and use, use the fitness you've earned in the gym to do whatever you want, whatever mm-hmm. makes you happy. You have the, the baseline strength and capacity to do so. So go do it. Mm-hmm. So true. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Ellen. This has been great. Um, just hearing your own personal story, but also your insight as a physical therapist and how I think hopefully we can see, you know, physical therapy, CrossFit all being practiced in the future and really bringing people towards health in a sustainable long-term way. So thank you for everything that you're doing. Um, and thank you for sharing your story. Is there a place where people can find you and, and learn more about what you're up to? Yeah. So, uh, personally, um, I'm probably mostly active on, on Instagram, um, mm-hmm. at allen.fred.dpt. That was hip and catchy. That was Mitch's idea to change my handle. Um, nice. so you can find me on there. Uh, I have an open account. You can message me. I'll, I'll answer you. Um, you can find stuff about Institute of Clinical Excellence at ice.physio. And mm-hmm. then if you're a physical therapist or you're just into CrossFit and rehab every single day, uh, at 9, 9 a.m. Eastern, we have a 15-minute podcast and we talk all things rehab. And specifically on Fridays, we talk about working with the fitness athletes. So how to blend CrossFit and, and PT rehab together. We talk about that every Friday. So you can check Amazing. all that stuff out. Tons of free resources um, for rehab professionals at ice.physio. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Hope you guys check that out. And um, thanks again for sitting down with me. Thanks for having me. It was great. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you or someone you know has a story to share on a future episode of Pursuing Health, please write me at info at pursuing-health.com. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please also consider subscribing and giving it a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does help to get the word out to more people.